Welcome back to Rethinking Politics. I'm here with Brad, still on vacation, still visiting, uh, touring, what, the middle of the United States, per se, the place that nobody goes yeah. to? Ah, some of the Western, some of the Eastern. I guess I'm getting some range. I've driven something like 43 hours at this point. It's getting, it's getting ridiculous. But anyway, it's been a lot of fun. We've seen a lot of family, been to a lot of different places. That's my disclaimer for the locations on, on these things and other details we can't control. Like and those stylish here headphones we are. you're rocking? They're sweet. The audio quality is actually amazing. True story. I believe it. So here we are. And here we are talking COVID-19 because COVID-19 is apparently the story that will not die. I wish it would die. I wish the whole thing would go away. I wish we could talk about other things. Um, but yet again, there's a, there's a political narrative, there's news, there's changes, there's adaptations, there's political implications, and thus it is. Thus it is, Dan. We want to talk today about COVID because of, uh, well, obviously, this is all spurred by the CDC's policy change in regards to mask wearing. You know, the CDC came out recently and said that, now we actually want vaccinated people to wear masks indoors wherever there's moderate or high COVID transmission rates, which right now, according to the CDC's matrix, is something like two-thirds of the United States in terms of population are living in a moderate or high transmission rate. In other words, for the vast majority of the United States, whether or not you're vaccinated, you should wear a mask, according to the CDC, which is a big pivot from where they were before. And so so there are a lot of articles about that pivot because it came out of nowhere. There are a lot of articles about the Delta variant because that is the main reason why they changed their policy. Yeah, the driver. And so we want to talk about a few of those. We actually want to talk about a couple of articles from CNN that talk about these issues and, and some of the interesting things that have come about. And, and before we do that, I want to talk about the basic narrative that's being, that's being told, you know, and, and how the narrative went is, especially in the last few months and the, the big narrative was the vaccine. The vaccine was the narrative. There was nothing else to the narrative but the vaccine. The vaccines are what we need to end COVID, get the vaccine. That was being pushed very hard by the White House, by by Biden, and by many, many media agencies. Right. And if you're curious why we picked CNN, some of you have been with us for a while. You've heard us give this explanation before, but ideally we want the news from a consistent source so that we can tell the consistent story that news agency is trying mm -hmm. to tell, right? If we're going to, we're going to critique it. If you, if you draw news from a variety of stories and go and look, they're inconsistent, of course they are, but we're going to, so we've, we've focused for our purposes in this episode on CNN articles, not necessarily because we agree with them. In fact, as you'll see, we, we don't, <laughs> but because they, they, in, to some degree align with, with what the white house is trying to propose and they try and make a consistent mm -hmm. narrative. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to, to the white house narrative, the CNN tends to be the most consistent. Absolutely. They, they mm -hmm. tow the line and they tow it well, as long as there's, you know, the Biden administration. Obviously, Trump administration was a little bit different. But anyways, mm -hmm. so the vaccine was being pushed, and a large number of, of people in the United States have not taken the vaccine yet. And then there was the push to get those people to take the vaccine. And then the Delta variant came out, and the narrative has been because people haven't gotten vaccinated, this Delta variant 
has been created. And so because of the unvaccinated, we are now getting variants. And in fact, these variants are so effective because of the unvaccinated that the vaccinated are in fact in danger of getting COVID from these variants. In other words, that it's the unvaccinated who are now posing a risk to the vaccinated, which means that our priority once again is to get vaccinated, that it all comes back to getting vaccinated as the answer. Until recently, until the CDC made this pivot and said, now, even if you're vaccinated, we need you to start wearing masks. We need you to start implementing physical measures to prevent the virus because the vaccine isn't going to be enough. And that's and that's a big change. And that's a big change. In fact, one of the articles I wanted to talk about is from CNN, and it's vaccination is not enough by itself to stop the spread of variants, study finds. And that's the name of the article. And, and it goes and talks about it, talks about a lot of different things about why this happens, the science behind it, and why the CDC has, has come out with this new guidance. But what's really interesting is some of the things they say about, about the vaccine. Generally, the more people are infected, the more the chances for vaccine resistance to emerge. So the more Delta is infectious, the more reason for concern. Followed up with, by having a situation where you vaccinate everybody, a vaccine-resistant mutant actually gains a selective adva advantage. In other words, and this is really interesting, because that quote right there, by having a situation where you vaccinate everybody, a vaccine-resistant mutant actually gains a selective advantage. And so I want to talk a little bit about the science of what's going on here and compare what they're saying with a... Uh, what Brett Weinstein in the Dark Horse podcast has said, because Brett Weinstein has made the claim and very clearly made the claim that, in fact, it's because of the vaccines that we're going to have these variants. And the argument is very simple. If you have COVID running amok against an unprotected population that has no resistance, there's no reason for the for the virus to adapt. When that virus hits right. a wall in the form of the vaccine, most of the virus is stopped, but the variants that make it through then gain an evolutionary advantage and are more likely to spread and then become dominant. Right. For, for example, the flu does this every year, right? The flu runs into the barrier of the immunity people have from the last variation, right? That the flu, in some sense, adapts itself because it goes through the population, people build up an immunity to that strain of the flu. Then it selects, you know, as it, as it goes through for a new strain that bypasses that resistance, mm -hmm. right? It, it, so the, the flu is, is so communicable in things that, that you can, that it evolves itself per se. It, it runs into the pressure of its own immunity that it's given to people in reaction to it and then evolves to counter that. And you can see how that, and that's precisely what happens. The vaccine is, is functioning exactly like that in that it is putting a pressure on the, the COVID-19 to adapt to counter the vaccine, right? And, and this makes sense. Obviously, a variation of COVID-19 that can beat the vaccine would be far more successful and begin to spread. Mm. And there's a pressure there because of how it's put. If you, if you look at how Brett goes into this in detail, this is exactly how you can deliberately 
push a virus in a lab to develop the kind of functions that you want it to by putting a wall like this and then letting it iterate against that wall until it creates a version of itself that, that beats it, mm-hmm. right, that, can, yeah. that can pass that wall. And so, and so it's interesting because at this point now, you know, CNN and Brett Weinstein appear to be agreeing, which is far from the case. That far, far from the case. <laughs> but, but where they, where they technically agree is that, is that when it comes to vaccinations, it's through the vaccinations that you create a vaccine resistant mutant. But, and this is where they disagree, is CNN would argue, that it is in fact the unvaccinated who have allowed that Delta variant to grow and then compete against the vaccinated. That if everyone had gotten vaccinated and gotten vaccinated quickly, the the Delta variant would never have a chance to flourish. And and maybe, maybe that's true, but there are a few problems with that. There because it makes sense, right? You know, you have to have somewhere right, right, right. if you eradicate the virus then there can't be any variants. And it's not adapted. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's and, right. It doesn't have the time. And Brett Weinstein talks about that. I mean, the Dark Horse podcast has has wanted to eradicate COVID for a long time. They talked early on about having a six-week lockdown in the United States, a hard lockdown, in order to eradicate the virus. And that's obviously something we disagree with them on. But it's interesting to note that they they understand that same basic idea that if you if you kill the virus, then there can be no variants. Now, here's the problem with that. There are a few problems. Number one, these vaccines are not 100% effective. You know, people talk about the 95% effectiveness, and it may actually only be 90% in the real world. But even if it is 95%, you still leave that 5% who get, you know, coronavirus, which means that the virus is still alive. It's not being eradicated amongst the vaccinated. On top of that, you've got, you know, the Johnson and Johnson, which has a much lower success rate, something like 63%, which means a whole third of of J&J users aren't getting protected. But even if the vaccines were 100% effective and every single person in the United States got their coronavirus vaccine, which is, of course, impossible because there are whole groups who are still not able to take the vaccine, whether they're young children or those who are immune compromised, et cetera, et cetera. But even if we avoided all of those problems, which we've already had five or six problems here, even if you avoided all of those problems and you had 100% COVID is dead in the United States, at some point, Someone from a country who has not had the financial resources to spend that much money on vaccines and therefore has not had that kind of protection is going to spread a vaccine-resistant variant into the United States. I mean, in this case with Delta variant, the Delta variant was not first discovered in the United States. It was discovered somewhere in India. And so we are not just responsible for what happens here in the United States, but we have to adapt to what happens outside the United States. Because in this global economy, there's no way we could permanently close the borders with the rest of the world. That's just not possible. It's not practical. Right. The collateral damage of such a thing would be so far beyond what COVID-19 would do that it would, that it's truly incomparable. Of course, that's a, that's a conversation that is not even, that still isn't being discussed as they're talking more lockdowns and things. They've, they still have no sense of the, of the damage that they've caused through economic destruction. But anyways, the, the problem is, is that CNN's argument, the main narrative just doesn't make sense that no matter what we do, 
there's always going to be a chance for these variants to come out. And so the question becomes, well, what's the solution? What's the answer? And and that's something that that me and Dan have been talking about. And, you know, in the Dark Horse podcast, they talk about ivermectin. And ivermectin would be a fantastic second resource to help with the Delta variant. There's no question of that because it is – it's different than the vaccine. It's operating in different ways. Right. And having that right. difference it's, it's is Its protection is much broader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially when you have a, a variant that's specifically designed to defeat the vaccine. And by designed, I mean evolutionarily designed. You know, it's facing the vaccine. Yes. So it's found out how the vaccine works and is now defeating that mechanism. And so when you have a different wall that uses a different mechanism, that can be effective. It sounds almost like you're painting a very bleak picture, Brad, where where COVID-19 comes. We try and fight it. Our attempts to fight it result in it adapting. We get something that is now 50%. I, I saw. I don't know if this is accurate. I haven't spent much time looking at the numbers of, of the Delta variant. But I read that it was 50% more communicable. If it's anywhere close to that, you know, if it's 20% more, COVID-19 was already extremely communicable. Um then, well, eventually we fight it and we try and survive and eventually it kills us all. <laughs> it's basically that, – That is how I, people – confident that that's how peop, some people we'll will hear it. this. They, 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 go no, ahead. And I, and I, how do you respond to that? I respond to that very simply and it's, it's by let's take a look at, at what we're actually talking about here because all of this is based off of one study. And by all of this, I mean the CDC's change, the CDC's pivot on mask wearing and – all the media and the White House's response to that pivot, right? And it's all based on this one study. And this one study is based on a, on an outbreak that occurred in, uh, I think it's Provincetown somewhere or other. Let me, let me open it up. Yeah, this is the one while he's getting that. This is the one that everyone's referring to and, and hyper-focused on. There is other data on the Delta variant and things. But for whatever reason, this is the one that, that really caught attention. Mm-hmm. But anyways, in, in, this, in this study, they looked at this outbreak and they found that, number one, it's much more contagious. And number two, it seems to be easily transmissible even amongst the vaccinated. And so in this case, a large number of vaccinated people got COVID-19 through this Delta variant and we're transmitting it to others, which is a serious problem in terms of vaccine efficacy. But, and this is the important thing, in this study of 469 people, not a single person died and only a handful were hospitalized. And so even though this Delta variant is much more transmissible, it doesn't appear to be much more deadly in any way, shape, or form. In fact, it's possible, and we don't know yet because we don't have enough data on this Delta variant, it's possible that this Delta variant is actually less deadly than the original coronavirus. And that could make a very big difference in terms of how scared we should be. Because let's say it's the most transmissible thing in the world. If it's not killing anyone, you know, and if it's not having serious health problems, if people aren't getting hospitalized, it's not hospitalizing people. If that's not happening, then we wouldn't care at all, right? We only we only care about this virus <laughs> because of what it's doing to people, and so that needs to be factored in. Is is it worse or better in terms of how people are handling it on top of how transmissible it is? Right, and, and despite a lot of, I mean, you were very uh, cautious there in your 
in your assessment in the in the amount of data. I'm trying we have. to be. Um, the data that we do have strongly suggests, if not proves, at least strongly suggests that this is a way weaker version of the virus. In terms of more in terms communicable, of what it does, yeah. less fatal. In terms of fatality and co- and serious consequences. And if you are familiar with these these evolutionary mechanisms in in how things change, how uh, uh, excuse me, how viruses adapt specifically. That is the tendency. The tendency is for them to get more communicable and less lethal, less dangerous, because the virus doesn't have doesn't get any benefit out of killing its host. In fact, that's a that's a downside <laughs> for a virus. Of course, this virus usually kills by the consequences of the body's reaction to what it's doing, not actually what it's doing, and thus it's it's not affecting it so much. But even that aside, the general evolutionary tendency is for it to get less lethal rather than more so, which is what you'd expect, and that is what it appears to be. And in behind all of this, it it's something that doesn't get enough attention. I would be really curious to see the numbers of lethality for standard alpha cova alpha cova it's weird to call it that now <laughs> but that's, that's what it's now that there are variants alpha covid excuse me <laughs> i like alpha cova i don't know what that is but <laughs> we're it sounds green, cool we're just turning it all into green yeah just go right? all in um but but one of the things that we know that is hard to track because the numbers are all just compiled and added together is that uh that we are treating covid19 in all of its forms way more effectively than we were before way more effectively. Initially, our treatment of it was garbage. Our reaction to it was exactly wrong. We let it do all kinds of things that it shouldn't have been allowed to do. And the initial fatality rate was in, was significantly driven by poor treatment. Mm-hmm. It was, we were not helping. Since we have changed our treatment through some of the people that <laughs> Brett Weinstein has on yeah, his I mean, podcast. Yeah, we've talked about the cortical steroids before. Yes, yes. And the, and the way that we've adapted that, things are much better. And if Delta is even slightly less lethal, combine that with our treatment and we're going to get way better results. But here we are looking at lockdown again. And let's just, let's just assume we, we lock down. Everybody and, vaccinates. And to be clear, it, to be clear, Dan, everyone's not talking about lockdown right now, but in this podcast, we're predicting that that the mask mandates is just a step in that direction. You know, bringing back yes. the the mask requirements is a step in that direction. And as Delta spreads and becomes more prevalent, the case counts continue to rise. Regardless of the lethality rates, they're going to start pushing for lockdowns again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, there there are people considering it right now. They're wondering if we need to go back mm-hmm. to lockdowns, mask mandates, and lockdowns. Um, but as you were saying, like, so we get, we get, we could assume that the best case scenario, that suddenly everybody gets on the same page. Everybody decides CNN is exactly right. 100% of Americans go and they get vaccinated. 100% of Americans start wearing masks and doing whatever it is that they think needs to be done. What we found, even in places that are doing that as well as they can, that, that the virus continues to spread and the Delta variant will continue to spread among the people who are vaccinated. But even if somehow you're able to eliminate that and the Delta variant and all variants of COVID died in the United States, we would have to, as Brad was saying earlier, we would have to somehow limit contact with the outside world in such a way that we could never get sick from them. Which would mean you a can't... complete border shutdown, right, which right, some small, right. I'm trying to which imagine some small how that countries works. have done. But mm-hmm. I don't think people understand the gravity of what that would entail, the the sheer economic 
benefit we get from interaction with other countries the it's 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 crazy it's definitely crazy the idea of of yeah, closing but- off the from the world and we could do it we absolutely could do it and it would be much like those the strongest sort of the of. lockdowns were yeah. where it's extremely economically costly right but that's just money right you know that's just money and people's freedom so we sacrifice those two things you know we we sacrifice the economy and our rights in order to protect us from the virus and some people are willing to do that right that's we somehow get a wall of sufficient capacity to block anybody sneaking in yeah like, like i mean we could i mean we could we could deploy the national guard we could we could deploy you know we <laughs> right, could pull right, our 40,000 right. troops out of Germany and our 20,000 troops out of these other bases in Europe, and we could put them on the border, right? These are things we could actually <laughs> stand, do. If, shoulder if, to shoulder. If this is our number one priority, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, we have, you know, over a million, you know, members of the armed forces that we could deploy on our borders if we needed to. But anyways, we could shut down our borders. We could have total lockdown and protect ourselves from the virus. And as Dan's saying, the whole time we do that, the virus and the variants will continue to spread and adapt outside of the United States. And as they continue to do that, and we don't do anything here in the United States, that's all fine and good, except that at some point, those walls have to come down. Because as we talked about before, our options are long term. If you stayed with those with those restrictions, we're going to be living in abject poverty. The only reason we're as as economically prosperous as we are now is because of that trade, because of that open, and because we're not in constant lockdown. So assuming that we yeah. do that temporarily for six months, three months, a year, when we open back up, we're going to get a flood get COVID again. of extremely strong variants that we are not in any way prepared for yeah it's i feel like i initially initially i i was not sure when covid start first started to happen um brett weinstein talks about that six-week lockdown too to just eliminate it entirely in the u.s um and people talked about the vaccines when we get the vaccines the covid lockdowns are going to be over you're going to be able to go back to your daily lives and you're going to not have to be afraid of COVID. There will be some some exceptions. It's not going to be 100% effective. But you're going to be able to go back to your daily lives. And COVID, as we as we know it, the threat of COVID will be over. None of those, the more I learn about this, could have ever been true. I, I don't think that was ever a realistic possibility. There was, there was one point at which you could have stopped COVID. And that was whenever it initially spread out of the lab, you could have locked it down there enough that it died. Yeah, the problem is once you beyond, have it in every that, single country, global, yeah, how can you ever stop it? You you can't. You just can't control enough of the world to, to stop it. I don't think you can control enough of the United States for even the most extreme of lockdown measures to have ever worked. But even if you could, you can't control the rest of the world. And and again, every time I say these kind of things, I think of the cost that people just that aren't are factoring in. Yeah. <laughs> that they're dismissing. But, but even setting those aside... There is, at this point, I think we can accept, and we need to accept, that there is no permanent solution to COVID. COVID is now a thing, and it's going to be a thing for the rest of your life. 
I don't think a vaccine could apply a broad enough protection that it could protect you from all the variants. In fact, if you got COVID already, that's a better protection against the variants, from what I understand, than, than, the, vaccine, than the vaccines I are. So. And so it's a broader protection. It's it's targeting a, a wider array of, of things and thus is, is better protection. But just like the flu, even he, that is not a yes. permanent solution, that the virus will adapt and and respond and and just like happened with the flu i mean we've the flu is our covid from a hundred years ago and it's it's been a hundred years and it's still with us and we have never been able to eradicate it without with any technology yes Yes. the good news is that covid will get less lethal across time as it adapts it's almost guaranteed to adapt down and, and in the long run, it is guaranteed. You know, just probability that it will become less lethal over the years, and it'll become more and more like the flu. And that, it, at some point, if not at the be, it should have been at the beginning. At some point, people needed to start making individual assessments because it's not going away. It's not going away. And in weighing the, the costs and benefits for yourself, I am still, I get more frustrated with it every day, the fact that people have no sense of how dangerous it is to them. And again, with the Delta variant, which appears, everything it makes it appear that it's less dangerous, it's almost guaranteed to be less dangerous. We don't know exactly how much less dangerous, mm-hmm. but it is going to be less dangerous and our treatment's better and, and so on. And yet people are still freaking out. They're, they're terrified out of their minds. Now, some people maybe should be. Some people, a more communicable disease is still going to be, even if it's weaker, is going to be a significant threat to them because they have so many, what they call comor- comorbidities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, just, we've just been generally referring to them across the board as risk factors, things that are going to increase the risk that it has a serious problem for you. Um, you should take precautions if you fit into that category. You should be concerned. Maybe the Delta variant is powerful enough and you can play it safe. But that makes up a very small portion of the population. And it's not the portion that is is generally uh, going to be out and about and threatened by this on a daily basis. That group, people like myself and Brad and others, you know, who are young and working or even middle-aged, um, it's just not going to be as much of a threat. And children especially who go to those <laughs> who go to the schools where the more I learn about the spread of viruses, I don't know if you've had this same reaction, Brad, but as we've been studying this in over the, the last year or so, mm-hmm. um, the more I learn about it, the more I realize that our immune system was just never calibrated to deal with the kind of madness that is a, that is your ordinary school <laughs> for kids, right? right? There's just way too many germs, way too much contact for your immune system to ever have been able to, <laughs> to really handle it well. Yeah. In terms of just the sheer number of people who are mixing and then going back to homes that are actually quite far apart. You know, I mean, by the time you reach high school or middle yes. school, you have some very large schools. And so that means you have, you have groups of thousands of kids from thousands of different households which is something that evolutionarily mm-hmm. was never existed. You know, you never had that yeah, it was, kind of it was exposure. Not a thing. Right. Your immune system is actually quite good at protecting you from your in-group, whatever that may be. But that, but you run into so many more people and you let little kids. And the whole thing <laughs> Little indoors, kids, the way yeah. they touch. And yeah, yeah. The whole thing's indoors, right? Exactly, exactly. For a variety of reasons, there's a, I'm, I now understand better than ever why when my kids go back to school, I get sick. Yeah, yeah. It's, just makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it, and you can't restructure society enough. I mean, the costs, 
the costs are way too high for anything that would even resemble a solution. And there is no final solution. No. The, the best we could do is get rid of it temporarily and have it come back. And and it's interesting because you're talking about the the dangers of school and and people have talked about the dangers of school in regards to COVID. And they talk yes. about all the things you could do, but no one ever says, well, let's just get rid of school. No one says, let's just mm-hmm. get rid of it altogether, even though that would be a viable option. If, if you're worried about it spreading at schools, you know, just get rid of it. But they're not willing to accept that cost. You know, people aren't willing yes. to accept the cost because because we value the education of our children. And I find that interesting because that's a case where people see the cost, but in so many other areas – because the costs are more hidden, we don't think about it. And so we're not willing because that's what it is with school. You know, you're 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 taking a risk that you find acceptable in exchange for a set of benefits. And that's what we need to be doing with COVID. And and that doesn't mean don't get vaccinated. That the vaccination is just one more tool and one more resource that you can look at mm-hmm. and consider and evaluate based off of a myriad of factors. That's not even saying don't wear a mask. No, it's it's another factor that needs to be considered. What we're saying is, especially you know, looking at these CNN articles, looking at how this mainstream narrative is going, it's definitely hysterical when it comes to this new Delta variant, that people are freaking out about the Delta variant, and that is being encouraged. People are being encouraged to be afraid of the Delta variant and being told that there are simple solutions that will stop it from being effective. You know what I mean? That if people all just got vaccinated, this wouldn't happen. If people just wore masks, this wouldn't happen. And time and time again, I'm just so confused because we all wore masks before. You know, there was a year period where huge chunks of the United States were wearing masks in almost all public spaces and COVID continued to spread. And now we have a Delta variant that's 50% more transmissible and we're supposed to put masks on again and that will stop it. Yes, it will slow it down, but it's not going (laughs) to stop it. Could help in some circumstances. You know, I like to think back (laughs) to, to March of last year. I think it was March. My timeline's messy. When they said, hey, we need to lock down for two weeks to give hospitals time to prepare. And that was the plan. That was the statement is that they understand we're going to slow the curve. You remember hearing that, Dan, right? Mm -hmm. Slow the curve. We need to slow the curve. Here we are a year and a half later. We have to accept the fact that all we could ever do was slow the curve. You know, because now we talk about eradicating it and finishing it, but that was never a possibility. What was a possibility was slowing the Mm -hmm. curve, which has been done. So is our plan to sacrifice so many of our interests, whether it's school or our livelihoods, in exchange for eternally slowing the curve and never, never actually really changing the outcome. Right. Right. It's, it's so, I've got to feel like, I felt like when we did our first initial podcast on COVID-19 and we talked about individual mm-hmm. risk factors and tried to reveal numbers to people that are still, that are still uncommon knowledge, uh, that still almost no one is aware of about the risk for themselves so that they could make the best decisions so that they can live their life as well as they can and, and make wise decisions with regards to COVID-19 and, but, but live their life. Now, if you want to put your life on hold to stop COVID-19 entirely, then we could, we could debate the cost benefit of that. 
but at this point, it should be clear that you can't. You can't stop COVID-19 entirely. And so what, what is the short-term gain that we're sacrificing the long-term, the long-term for, right? What is, what are the costs and benefits in this? And the analysis getting clearer and clearer as the disease gets less lethal, as the, you know, as the treatment gets better and better, as you have a variety of things that can protect you for now and maybe future things, you know, future, maybe there will be a vaccine every year, much like there's a flu shot every year, right? Maybe there will be some kind of method to help you deal with it and, and have it be less extreme that certain segments of the population should take advantage of because they're more at risk than others. Mm-hmm. I'm the, the CNN article sounds more and more like Brett Weinstein. I'm waiting for the day when all of them sound more and more like us right? <laughs> more and more. They're like, okay, slowing the, like lockdowns are not even going to be considered because to what end really what 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 is the benefit of that we have the vaccines are you making something new that we're not aware of is there some some kind of you know masks okay when and where why who should wear them exactly what's the benefit what going leaving your house and these kind of things all the all the other related details to covid-19 policies and people i hope people start voting with their feet assess the risk factor for yourself go places where they the people will treat you reasonably mm-hmm. And, and let them suffer the consequences of their, of their foolish decisions. I wish the political decisions didn't affect so many people. And, but thus it is. And, and anything else? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, there's we, a few more things. There's, there's a few more things that, that are worth talking about. Um, Dan, you mentioned earlier before we started recording about you know talking about lockdowns and and how they were pushed as a solution and yet never no one ever talked about the uh not just the economic effects of lockdowns but the health effects of lockdowns that actually made you more likely to get sick or seriously sick from covid you know there's lots of data out there that's that should be common knowledge now and i think a lot of people do know it but it's not a priority is the idea that if you go outside and you exercise, the odds of you dying from COVID go way down. If you go outside every day and exercise, the odds go way down because, because right. the, the exercise has, has many benefits. Um, obesity, the sun has o- obesity is, weight, is a comorbidity, yeah. something I'm aware of as someone who falls into that category. And so exercising and then vitamin D has incredible benefits, like you were saying with the sun and, and vitamin D through the sun is very different from what you take from a vitamin um, for reasons I don't understand. But anyways, <laughs> is, that, is that true? It's, it's, That's true. I didn't know that. So it's a, uh, it's, well, when you, when you take uh vitamin D orally, it's your, your, you can't, you can't, your, your body, body can't process it. I mean, I was listening to one of these podcasts and they were time. talking about vitamin D that they administer as a treatment for COVID and they do it through an IV directly into your, into your bloodstream because that's the only way yeah, you yeah, can yeah. get that amount. And so there are limitations to what you can take from a, from a pill or from a liquid or whatever. And so, yeah. anyways, that's neither, neither here nor there. But the fact is, is that is that we're ignoring so many things. You know, we talked about ivermectin before and and I had an interesting conversation with a coworker last night or at least I didn't have a conversation cuz he brought up crazy people talking about ivermectin and I wanted to engage with him and have a conversation about ivermectin cuz I was curious what he had heard <laughs> and why he was so happy to dismiss it, right? To not even consider it. 
And he refused to have a conversation with me. And, and the reason he cited is that he respected our friendship and didn't have the patience to talk with me about it without saying things he'd regret. In other words, he knew ivermectin <laughs> was stupid. He knew that I was an idiot for having any interest in it. And he didn't want to call me an idiot and the stupidest person he knew. And so he decided not to have the conversation. Right. And to be fair, that there's some emotional maturity there, right? <laughs> Maybe that was the right call. <laughs> There are times. There are times where I should have made, made that, that call. call. <laughs> you know, and I, but no, you're right that he shouldn't have to make that call. What? How? How could a conversation about ivermectin be so? Yeah, hard? have reached that how point. Could, yeah, where where you can't have a conversation with someone without having reserves of patience built up. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like it's like I had said something. I've already had one this week. I I, I don't have it in me. To yeah, have it's another, like I. It's like I. Had, it's like I had said that. That um, that Trump was still president and the whole election was a farce. Like that's how he responded. Was I don't have the patience to talk about that with you right now, you know? Yeah, or worse, the moon landing or, was faked, or, or, or the, the Earth, Earth is, is flat. Yeah, and and yeah, something that you just dismissed. Generally. And it was it was just eye opening for me because. You know, people talk about conspiracies, and and there are so many conspiracies about vaccines and and ivermectin. You know, um. Dark Horse podcast, Brett Weinstein talks about all this pressure to get him shut down. And the pressure is real. And the pressure is not a conspiracy because I can tell you right now that my friend at work is not part of any conspiracy. No one is bribing him. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's not getting any money to insult you about yeah, exactly. your this is the, opinions on Ivermectin. Him saying that is not some big conspiracy. Him saying that is simply a reflection of how strong the societal pressures are. That there's such incredible societal pressure that, you know, we talked about it before. When when I heard, first heard Dark Horse Podcast, I was uncomfortable as soon as they mentioned <laughs> ivermectin. You know what I mean? And that discomfort is what he felt except much stronger. And I think it's because he's more tied into that mainstream narrative than I is, than, than I is, than I am. <laughs> Maybe he, maybe he, that may be the weirdest verbal slip you've ever maybe made. Maybe he should call me an idiot. You know, I'm not the, maybe he was on the right path. Anyways. Maybe it had nothing to do with ivermectin that he didn't have patience to have a it conversation was just with me. you, Brad. It was just me. It was just me. I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of that, Dan. But anyways, but anyways, now I lost my train of thought. That, that one was, but I was, I was going to say that one's my bad, but it's kind it was, of your bad. It was, it was my bad. Go ahead. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that there's this incredible pressure and there's this, in there's so much at stake. And we talked about this last, last week about politics and how it's life or death for everyone. And, and there's so much fear involved. And then also so much, I want to call it name calling that comes from the mainstream narrative about those who disagree that people are just fed up. You know, I mean, if you're being told, hey, this vaccine could have stopped the Delta variant, this vaccine could have eradicated COVID, and we could all move on with our lives, except for the vaccine hesitant who also believe in things like ivermectin. When you believe that, and you hear say, someone bring up ivermectin, it makes sense for you to be upset. It makes sense for you to have reserves of patience to even have a conversation with them because what they're bringing up is their stupid conspiracy theories that are literally costing you a normal life. That if it weren't for them and people like them, you could have a normal life. 
And, and that's why people end up in that place. And it's so frustrating because as we've talked about, none of this is that simple. I mean, whether it's CNN or even Brett Weinstein talking about a six-week lockdown in the past or talking about ivermectin now, the odds of that actually working and actually ending this are infinitesimally low. It may technically be possible, but it's not actually going to happen. And we need to face that because that will allow us to start making reasonable decisions. Reasonable decisions like... Hey, this virus is going to be with us, but if you exercise and you are getting vitamin D and doing a certain number of other things, and then when you, if you actually get COVID, you're able to get ivermectin as a treatment because it is effective as a treatment, not just as a preventative. Then, right. then you're, and then, if you're extreme risk, you take it as a preventative. And, yeah. and all these doctors have the handcuffs removed so they can start testing for other things that are effective at treatment, you know, so that, uh, like stero- you know, cortical steroids, there are a dozen other treatments they can try if you get sick. All of a sudden, the mortality rate is 10% of what it used to be. You know what I mean? If you applied all of those things, then even though COVID's still here, you know, it's not even as bad as the flu because of all the things we've done, all the tools we've used to mitigate it. But as long as we stick with it's the vaccine or nothing, we're never going to acknowledge any of those tools. And because the vaccine isn't going to be 100% effective and we're going to have variants, we're just going to be stuck and we're going to be stuck with a much higher mortality rate than we have to be. Those are such good points. Why, right? thank you. And so well stated. As well, you're saying that, part, it occurred to me that one of the it occurred to me that there's a parallel. There's a parallel here between the way people talk about dealing with COVID-19 and the way people talk about economics. They look at the way that they look at how far societies come. They go, well, look, we have all these, this technology, we have all this medicine, we have the capacity to make vaccines. We have the, uh, we have the organizational and structural capacity of the government to, to command certain things like lockdowns and mask mandates. And, if we, and through those means, we have conquered illness in a way that we just have to work together and be on the same page, you know, be, be unify or, or have unity or whatever, whatever the call is to get in line, however it's phrased, <laughs> compliance. Um, if we did that, we will conquer this. And so if we don't conquer it, if, we, if something goes wrong, whose fault yeah, is yeah. it? Because it's somebody's fault. We've failed. And it's the same thing with economics where people are like, look, look at how prosperous we are. Look at where we are. Look at what a billionaire has. If there are poor people in the world, it is because somebody's doing something wrong, right? We've, we have solved the problem of limited supply. Yes. We've, we've solved the problem, the limitations of economics. We have now as much as we could ever need. And it just isn't getting to the right people. You know, it just isn't getting to the people who need it. So who's to blame? In, in both cases, they are not just wrong. They're, they're dangerously wrong. You can, you start redistributing the, the wealth of people in the, in the, of the billionaires, which is mostly in the stock of businesses and, and decision making power and funding the business that runs, which is producing something. You kill, you end up killing the production and you end up becoming poorer tomorrow to distribute wealth today. And, and not just poor, not just the rich poor. We're talking society poor because you're, you're decreasing our productive capacity mm-hmm. and, and you're taking things that are succeeding to produce something that people want and 
and harming that. And in, in some ways, it's the same mistake in that this there's this vanity that, well, now we have conquered disease here. The COVID-19 is not actually a threat to us if we band together. And we're just not doing it. You know, who is the who are the bad eggs that are stopping us? When the reality is that so often life is just hard and it takes a ridiculous amount of work and we have not conquered it. Yep, we mentioned You're looking that at last a very week. Yeah, it's true. It's true of tapping back into to some uh because it's a good principle. Discussion Jordan Peterson. Well well, it is. We we have this illusion that we've we've arrived and we haven't. There is so much still to do, so much that can be improved, and so many minor problems, and often not minor problems, that can be worked out. So far still to go, and every step will improve people's lives, and we should be taking those steps. We haven't arrived. It's not just a question of organization and compliance. We could not, I'm convinced now at this point, could not have stopped COVID-19 from spreading, creating variations, and being with us basically indefinitely. We, we, we don't have the technology. We're, we, and even if we, even if we did get the organizational things done, even if we went full tyranny, yeah, yeah. By the time <laughs> and somehow made it, by happen. the time we heard about it, it was too late. If COVID nineteen had late. originated somewhere in the United States where we had some degree of control and we had done something yeah. early, yeah. early on to stop it from ever leaving perhaps. the United mm-hmm. States, perhaps we could have done something. But the fact that it originated perhaps. outside mm-hmm. of the United States. Even if we had stopped Spread it from so getting countries. into the United States, which is, you know, an argument that was made early on against Trump was you didn't stop it from getting into the United States. <laughs> Even if he had stopped it at the beginning, it would have gotten in eventually. There was no way to, yeah, to, to permanently stop it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just too communicable. Um, but anyway, it's interesting. It's interesting. I hope I hope people wake up to that a little bit, to the to the reality of that there are some problems that are just going to be there and no, no amount of political force is going to change that. And, and it's time to start thinking on an individual level. They still, most of these news organizations still deliberately avoid giving you information like exercise would help you. Why? Because it might make you think that there's a solution outside, outside of, a vaccine, of the vaccine, yep. outside of whatever political thing they're, they're, they're passing you. And if that isn't such bad faith nonsense, like if that isn't enough reason to look for more news sources, I don't know what is. <laughs> You're, it, could have, it could have saved the life of someone you know, right? To have that information, to have some of the, some of the breakdown of, of what this would look like on an individual level for you to make a judgment call yourself. Instead, they're trying to control a narrative in order to game you so that you do the thing that they think is best. And it's turned out that none of them worked and none of them could have worked. None of them would have solved the problem in the way that they thought they would have. Yep. And we need to, we need to face that and we need to start thinking of this virus just in a completely different way and thinking of ways that we can deal with it instead of blaming Instead of instead of playing the blame game, you know, whose fault is it the Delta variant is here? You know, whose fault is it that we're still dealing with COVID, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, should we lock down again? Should we do this? Should we do that? Should we mandate vaccines? Instead, say, no, this is the reality. Let's start looking at what we as individuals can do to make the best risk assessments for ourselves and move forward and open the door so that those individuals can have as many options as possible, including vaccines, including masks, including staying home, including, you know, a personal lockdown, if that's what they need. I mean, 
You know, I mean, there was something very early on. Nursing homes closed their doors and isolated. And in terms of, you know, preventing the disease that was effective, but it also was very damaging to those in the nursing homes because they were cut off from everyone they loved. And that's why we want it to be an individual decision and not a group one, because it only makes sense on the individual level for you to say, this is what matters to me. This is what's more important. Yes. And I know people will say, well, but look, if you get sick with something, it came from somewhere, right? It came from somebody mm-hmm. and, and you are going to get other people sick based on your individual decisions. And the answer to that is yes, you can, you, but you only have a very limited control over that. Uh, people are acting like you could control that perfectly. You can't, you can, you have very limited control over that because, and you, and you control that by determining at how much exposure you're going to have to other people. That's how you control that. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't control it by telling them how much they can engage in the world. You control that by determining how much you are going to engage in the world. That part you can control. And that's where your personal responsibility comes mm-hmm. in. Stop trying to blame the people who are sick with COVID and going out to work. Yeah, they, who, they may or may yeah, not know they have it, right? Especially those who don't know it. You know, there's so right. many asymptomatic people who are carrying COVID. It is not their right. responsibility only, to protect you. Right. And you're going to get it eventually. At this point, you're going to get it eventually. If you're engaging with the world at all, you're probably going to get it. In the long run, inevitably, yeah. you'll get it. Probability it's is so high. <laughs> the way it plays out, infinite future. Yeah. Um, and, and so stop blaming people. Start making responsible decisions for yourself. Make the assessment. Realize that your kids are probably fine. Your kids are almost guaranteed not to get it. And if they get it, for it not to be bad at all. And that's, that's one helpful detail that people should, people are treating their children as if they're time bombs or if they're, they're super fragile to this and they're not. Mm-hmm. But all of that you can find in, other pod, in our other podcasts and look at the risk assessment there. But for this one, we really wanted to focus on the narrative that we're getting now and the, the turn in public opinion towards principles that have been should have been known early on, some of the evolutionary principles, some of the changes, the, the, the backing down from the vaccine is the most effective thing in the world as if it's going to solve the problem. While at the same it's time not, continuing to, to tout the vaccine is the only solution. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got yes, that well, double think. Right. Yes, where where Biden's really scared that the numbers are going to, they that people are sharing the data about the Delta variant irresponsibly because it's going to make more people go, huh? I guess I didn't need to get the vaccine, mm-hmm. or I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's which which is when you're fair trying when to, you have data that shows that the vaccine is is <laughs> less effective, yeah. then people are going to be less interested in. That's just the reality of it. To try and hide right. that information is unethical. Yes, everybody is so dedicated, so committed to trying to control the choices other people are going to make after they give them information, mm-hmm. it, which, which makes so the manipulation. That ma- yeah, it makes the information they're giving you manipulation. Absolutely. And, it, and what's crazy about it is that they're so upfront about it. You know, I have this yeah, fantastic yeah. headline from CNN, White House frustrated with hyperbolic and irresponsible, in quotes, Delta variant coverage, sources say. And then goes on to talk about how the White House is pissed at all of these media organizations. And these are not, these are left-wing media organizations like the Washington Post that they're getting mad at for covering the Delta variant and stating these facts without doing enough to encourage people back towards the vaccine. Basically, what they're saying is you're just giving them the data and you're not spinning it for them. And that's irresponsible. If you're not spinning the data (laughs) to support the vaccine, 
then you're doing something wrong. And that's, that's just amazing. It's just amazing that it's, we've reached that point where it's that blatant. It's kind of like earlier when, uh, when the white house said they're going to, uh, they're going to be working with companies like Facebook to tell them what to censor and what not to censor. The fact that they admitted that openly as part of what they're doing to fix yes. the problem is insane. Gives you some sense. Gives you some sense of how of far how, we've come. Of how twisted everyone's ways of thinking are that everyone is like, yes, Biden needs to do more. He needs to get these media organizations in line. He needs to get CNN and the Washington Post to spin things so that people get the vaccine. That's the only responsible thing to do is just crazy. It's crazy that we can't just look at the facts, look at look at these the the data and then make decisions for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is crazy. You mentioned the Washington Post. I think a lot of people would say that is a right-wing or at least more right-wing publication. And that's really to say more right-wing is probably true. Well, yeah, but more doesn't mean right-wing. It doesn't mean you know, anything. CNN is yeah. more right-wing than than Vox or some other publication. You know what I mean? That doesn't mean it's yeah, yeah, right-wing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and and right-wing is not a useful I mean, at this point, left and right, I, we always, I always cringe when I use those terms because I, I find them so directionless. What you're, when people use those terms, generally what they're suggesting is I'm in the right place and I'm giving you an indication of which extreme they're, uh-huh. on. they're on the left uh-huh. extreme or they're on the right extreme, which means they're bad because extreme is a bad word. And it's this weird, it's, it's a, it's an entirely subjective layout of political landscape that's just <laughs> with literally truly no objective boundaries along we've come a long ways from when the left and the right was a was a thing because that's how the french is the french parliament arranged themselves that so. way and the liberals were actually people like us <laughs> anyway viva la revolution thus it is <laughs> thus it is <laughs> Anything else we want to discuss in this, Brad? No, I don't think so. I think this has been I think this has been a good conversation for me at least. I've enjoyed it. Well, with that, thank you guys for listening. Good luck out there. Have a good one, guys. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.